for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Morning. When we have uh, coffee and tea and fellowship over there, if you'd like to really understand what happened on the other side of the pond, I'll be glad to tell you all about it. I have gotten so much grief for being an American this week. You know, as, as if, as if you, your guys' you know, political situation is all evened out and squared away. Amazing. Just amazing. Hallelujah. You know, the crazier things get, more and more. I'm starting to realize when you see craziness, and you know, not just in our country, come on now, right? I just think God's sort of ripping off the cover where we can see how things really are, not what we hoped they would be. And it puts us in a great position to either fix everything so we can be secure or we go, well, what another great opportunity to trust the only God there is, you know. But so we in America are having great opportunities to trust Jesus. I want to share some things. I want to I take you on a journey. Um, I want to start with, you know, there's a scripture. You know, we're not going to see it up there. But, um, it's, you know, zeal for your house consumes me. It's in, in Psalm 69. It's just a, it's a great thing. And, and it's, it's one thing that described Jesus. You know, houses are not, in the Bible, sometimes they're actually a physical thing. But they're usually like a family. Uh, or, and not just a family, but a generation of families. How God thinks of, like, the house of David. It's not just something located on a street. It's, it's a family, past, present, and future. And, and Jesus, yeah, zeal for his family, it consumes him. Have you ever had something that consumed you? Uh, I mean, remember, remember when... I'm, I'll just talk to the guys. Remember... That time when you looked at that woman and you went, whatever it takes, I'm going to win her heart. I'm going to be like, like that and like that. I'll, you know, whatever she needs me to be, I'll do that. And, you know, it, I mean, this is back in the day. We didn't have cell phones, but, but you know, I, I know some people would just sort of, you know, some of my friends, some of my, my friends, they have these little girlfriends, and they, they just sit there on the phone and say, good night. No, good night. You gonna hang up? No, you hang up first. <laughs> you know all that little cheesy stuff, right? But, but, but it's something about like you're consumed with it. It's just a feeling where like all of life filters through it. Uh, you know things are. It's a bad consuming when whatever you're focused on excludes everything. That's when they have problems. But when your whole life sort of runs through that thing. That, that's, a, that's what it is to be really consumed. You can be consumed in a bad way. Let's say, you know, God has a future for you, but you're, you're, you, know, you just keep on looking at yourself, all your limitations, all the bad things you've done, all the bad things that have done to you, and, you know, just sort of the angst you carry around with you, and then, of course, there's your past and all that. And, you know, you can actually be consumed with that. You can make that your primary focus, right? 
and your whole life, your whole idea of your future, how you relate to people, all that can be filtered through that thing with which you're consumed. But there's this thing about zeal for your house consumes me. This is not just how Jesus feels. This is actually a feeling, not, not just an emotion, but like a conviction. It's, it's something that, you know, if God feels that toward his family, toward his church, he, he would probably like for us to have that same feeling, that same conviction, right? And, um, and so just imagine being a pastor, just for a minute, and then you can go back to living a normal life. Um, you know, pastor lays down his life. You know, the elders lay down your life for the sheep. And for you, you know, you have a life, you have all these, but everything runs through the church, not the institution, but this church family. You hang around Graham long enough, and you'll find out that this church is so not an organization. I mean, it's organized, but it's not an organization. And it's, it's not an institution. He actually thinks this is a family, and he thinks it's the greatest family on the earth. I mean, not trying to compare, but he actually thinks Gateway is the best family there is. Like, who want, wouldn't want to be part of this? That's how he thinks. Right? And so when he hangs out with you guys, he's going, come on, join in. Come on, plug in. And he's not sitting there going, I've, I've got this little cheat sheet where I go, okay, got another one committed, got another one. He, he, the zeal for his, his, this family, it just sort of consumes him, right? And he wants to share the wealth. He would love for everybody to go, yes, whatever God's doing in our church family, is a, it's, it's, it's it. It's, it's not the only thing, but it's the filter through which we pour our lives. It'd just be great. Now, that's the fantasy, That's what we would love to see. Except zeal for church life is actually really hard to come by. I'm I'm just being very honest. It's hard to come by. Why? Well, you know, you have life. You have jobs. It's like you have a file cabinet. There's your job, then there's fun things, then there's family, and then, you know, there's the relatives, you know, and that you just sort of put that away. And then... You know, there's there's finances and all, and then there's church. And the idea of how do I, how can I be consumed with what what, what my church family is doing when I have all these other files? I mean, it's great for a full-time minister, you know, because that's your job, buddy. But it's like, what about the rest of us? You know, you're, you're a full-time Christian, but we're only part-time Christian. Oh, sorry, that's not actually true. We're all in full-time ministry. We're all full-time Christians. So how do you go from God wanting us to have zeal for his house and then actually growing in that experience without it being shoved down your throat, without it you feeling like you have to so that you can be a good Christian? So I thought about that, and I'm going to take you on a journey, and I'm really hoping the Holy Spirit will accompany us so that you could be in a position where today you take your first steps in growing in a zeal for the house. It's not, it's not a, 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 an all-on or all-off. It's a growth thing. So I, I just want to start, and where I want to start is with Jesus, if you don't mind. This is church. Maybe we can talk about Jesus. I think before you talk about church, you got to talk about Jesus. 
I'm, I'm just being so straight. I mean, I've been doing this for years. I, I've been in, in a lot of interesting places. And in the heart of even some sincere Christians, they're going, why should I commit to the church? It's good to get plugged in. It's good to give some money. It's good to pray, be involved in that. But why should my heart be consumed? Why? And it's not a, a belligerent why. It's not a, a, a rebellious why. It's a legitimate why. And I'm going to try to, to answer it. All right? And if, if, if I don't persuade you, um, then maybe God can. But I, I just want to tell you up front what my heart is after, for you to go, okay. I get it. And I can take some steps where I can be increasingly consumed with what's going on in my church family. Okay? Um, let's talk about Jesus' ministry. Jesus, you know, we, we all know he walked the earth. Jesus was real. I mean, you know, he really did walk the earth historically and biblically and all that sort of stuff. And I want you to imagine being one of the followers of Jesus, even just part of the crowd. Imagine, you know, not all imaginations are vain, right? Some imaginations God can use uh, to, to strengthen us. And there's something supernatural about when our imaginations go toward Jesus. When we focus on Jesus um, in, in a non-foofy way, just really start consider Jesus, talk about Jesus, uh, imagine walking with Jesus, something happens. There's a scripture that says we are transformed from glory to glory, from the good things before to the good things ahead, we are transformed from glory to glory as we behold him. So no matter where you are, I'm going to start talking about Jesus, and if you just just track with me, watch how God starts changing your heart. It's going to be fun. Here's some distinctives of Jesus' ministry. Here you are walking with Jesus, just watching him do stuff. The first thing you'll notice is that you know, he had big crowds, but the guy's gentle. I mean, he, he, he's not a wimp. He's not, you know, he's not a worm, but he's like really, really gentle. He walks around with a high degree of self-control. Um, he knows what he's doing all the time, but he, he's gentle and he's kind. He's really kind. He's not one of those Pharisees that go, oop, you're not doing good enough today. I mean, he was kind, he was very forgiving, very merciful. You know the, the story about the, the, the woman caught in adultery. Um, I mean, she did some bad stuff, I mean, and continually, and got caught at it. And according to the law, she should have gotten stoned. And I'm not talking about, you know, the townspeople offering her a pipe. I mean, that, that they would take big things and just, you know, just destroy her with rocks, Okay. And Jesus, she deserves the punishment. He gets in the middle of it, and he just tells everybody else, yeah, she did bad stuff, but whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. And can you imagine that? And it was really interesting. It's the older ones who dropped their rocks first. It's just an interesting thing. But imagine watching Jesus and go, dang, I don't know. I might have thrown a rock or two. You know, maybe just teach her a little bit of a lesson. I would have done, but here's Jesus just going... Is there anybody here to condemn you? I don't condemn you. Wouldn't that change your life? I mean, just watching the real Jesus deal with real, broken, sinful people, wouldn't that change 
how you deal with your spouse who irritates you because they, you know, what they do with the toothpaste. Do you squeeze it at the end, at the beginning, or the middle? How many, seriously, just for the heck of it, how many of you, as spouse, you know, married people, you sort of argue about that? You just go, or is that only an American thing? It's just an American thing. You, you know how we do it in our family? Two tubes. <laughs> Two tubes, man. Because I would sit there go, because my wife, she's an artist, and you know, and she just, <clears throat> right? And I'm going, you, what, you have thrown the symmetry and the harmony of the universe out of kilter. So I get it all right. Anyway. So Jesus, he was a gentle, forgiving, merciful, and very humble servant. I mean, really, you know, from a position of authority, when's, when's the last time you got half naked and knelt down and started washing people's feet? I don't think you've done that. That's what Jesus did. And you watch this, you go, he's the master and he's doing this? This is crazy. I mean, imagine being there beholding Jesus and see him do real humility and you know he's the boss. You know he's a great guy. You know he's a great leader. And here he is just getting down to his underwear, leaning down and washing dirty, stinky feet. Think about this. They wore sandals. They wore like these open sandals and it wasn't just dust they were stepping in. There's camel stuff. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. And here's Jesus. He's just sitting there cleaning feet. You watch that. Wouldn't it sort of change? You would just sort of challenge how you serve and minister and get people to do what you want them to do. He was just a servant. It's just an amazing thing. But wait, there's more. He was a profound teacher. I mean, just imagine. You're listening to Jesus teach. And the crowd is just having this buzz. They're going... You know, the Pharisees are saying the same thing, but when he says it, it's got juice to it. It's got power to it. It's like, it's riveting. Yeah, we can't even explain it. I mean, they're like, yeah, you can know a lot of truth, and you can, you know, tell people the truth and think that you've thrown the truth at them, that they get it, and it'll transform their lives. When Jesus would say the same things, people would go, he doesn't teach like those Pharisees. His thing has power. Profound teacher. It wasn't just his words that that had impact. It was the deliverer of the words that had impact. Any powerful miracle worker. Come on now. I just think that's really funny. Imagine you're just walking around. You're with Jesus, great teacher. He's so kind and all that. And then there's someone who's like, and he goes, get out. And a whole bunch of demons just fly out of him. And go into some pigs. Then go home and your, dear, and your dear wife goes, so how was your day? Well, you know, I was following this guy, Jesus, and there's this guy. You know that guy who's, everybody knows he's got a lot of problems? Well, he, naked, stinky, he ran up to Jesus and Jesus just cast out demons. I didn't even know there were demons, but now I know there are demons. And they went into the pigs and the pigs went over a cliff. Wow. And the guy is sane now and he's clean and he's fully clothed. and He's got a mission that would change your life. You don't have to go, well, I don't know if that was real. Let me see it again. You know, sometimes just experiencing God once can just turn things. So here you go. Wow. The guy has got some power. 
Come on, read. Go to a funeral. Go to a funeral that Jesus was attending. Oh, poor Uncle Jim. I'm going to miss him. And Jesus walks in and goes, Jim, arise. And Jim just sits up, praise God. You know, and you're watching this and you're going, oh, well, another day in the life of Jesus. No, you go, did you see that? That guy, Jesus, raised my Uncle Jim who was dead, but now he's dead. This is important. And all it would take is one. One supernatural thing. Maybe just one supernatural baby. Anyway. There's another thing about Jesus. Imagine walking with him. He's not this, uh, this, this spiritual guy in white robes on methadone. I mean, this guy, if you looked into his eyes, he had the it. That he had a fire in his eye, fire in his belly. Why? I mean, he wasn't maybe not loud, but the guy knew who he was, and he knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. He was sent by the Father. I mean, he was on a mission. He's not making it up. He's not trying to prove himself. He is sent supernaturally. We won't even go to all that. He's sent supernaturally. And, G- and there he is walking the earth, and he's on a mission. And his mission is the filter through which he does whatever, you know, whatever he does. He doesn't do anything extra. He's pretty focused. If you've ever been in the military, when you're on mission, you don't let even good things distract you on the mission. He was on a mission. And his mission was not, well, I'm going to dutifully be on the mission. He had a passion for it. He really identified it. it he had both feet in to the mission of his father. He was a devoted son. Being on mission, he was a devoted son. And I wrote down some things. His master passion was to obey, to please and honor and reveal the father in everything he did. To, to make real or advance his kingdom wherever he went, no matter what the cost to himself. Could you imagine following a guy like that? You know, you don't have to have that kind of mission, missional zeal. But you know, you hang around someone who has that kind of leadership ability. You know, they don't beat you over the head, but there's something in them. They go, look, this is important. Can you see it? Okay, good. And this is why we do it. This is where we're going. Come on. I think you're valuable. Why don't you join this valuable thing? And you go, yes. Why? Because not so much of the mission, but by the leader's relationship to that mission. And you just go, I think I'll follow that guy. He's a devoted son. And, but he, he was not a weenie. He was a warrior, really. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I just can't help it. This idea of Jesus being this guy who loves dressing up you know, in white things and going like this with little angels, little, little cherubs you know, running around like little Valentine naked babies. You know, bing, bing. Jesus was a warrior. He was a tough guy. He, he was sent to expose and oppose anything that got in the way of people knowing who the Father was really like. It's just an amazing thing. And he fought according to his father's battle plans. He was determined to destroy the works of the enemy. And not just destroy the works of the enemy, but to redeem, or another word is to purchase or rescue that which was stolen by the enemy, namely us. I mean, that was his mission. He was going to demonstrate what the father's like. He's going to do things that just 
demonstrate that the kingdom of darkness doesn't have a chance against the kingdom of God. And he will do it in a way, pay any price, not just so he can go, look, I'm Jesus. He would do it to rescue people. Us. Imagine following that kind of guy. Then you watch him, and it's, it's not just, boy, he's good at ministry. The guy, he would recruit people. I mean, when is the last time someone comes to you and go, hey, follow me? Brother, if I went up to your wife and go, hey, follow me, I probably, I probably wouldn't make it past three or four steps, right? Especially if she goes, okay. You, know? <laughs> you go, wait a second, wait a second, this is great. Who are you? What do you plan to do? Can I come along? There's all these sorts of things. But Jesus, just a little ugly Jewish guy, walking around going, follow me, follow me. Where does that come from? There's a supernatural, hey, I'm on a mission there's something special about me. Why don't you just come along? And people would just do it. Why? Because they're stupid? That's what some people think. Well, back in the old days, those Middle Eastern people, they don't have you know, internet, so they just followed people for the heck of it. It's amazing how we think. What Jesus do, he would, he would recruit. Don't you start running when you see him starting get a beat on you. Hey, how are you? And he starts talking about the children's ministry or small groups. And you go, wait a second, are you recruiting me? Yes, he is. He is. What? You know, can I just do it in my own volition? Why? You know, I tell you, there's something really cool about someone seeing value in you and say, I think you would really be a blessing and you would flourish in this. That's what Jesus did. He was a great recruiter. And then once he recruited he didn't just give a job description, go, go find out how to do it. He would mentor it. He'd say, now hang around with me. What I want you to do, I'll do it first. And then he would equip them. Yeah, what do you need to do it? And then he would send them with the idea that when you go out, come on back and we'll have an after action report. We'll talk about what went well. I mean, I love releasing people in ministry. But I especially love releasing people into ministry who have a teachable attitude and want to come back and up their game. Instead of going, don't tell me what to do. I'm released. (sighs) (laughs) Jesus was a walking, talking, complete mission agency. I mean, he wasn't just, you know, when you follow him, you're not sitting there going, wow, what a great guy. Just watching him just challenges my life, impacts, makes me want to change. It's like, wait a second. He didn't just have a ministry. He had a vision to reproducing himself. Now, you watch that long enough, you'll say, say, maybe I can do that. So when you think about all the cool things about Jesus when when he walked the earth, it would transform you. But there's just a couple other distinctives I want to talk about. One is, it's just, it's, it's important. It's a small point, but it's like the biggest point there is. Jesus happened to be God. I mean, not just the God that we write about and it wouldn't be cool and all. It's like God. Do you you realize what we say when we say Jesus is God? There's room only for one God. Only, well, only one true God. And as Christians, we're saying he's the only game in town. He's God. What does that mean? 
What does that mean? That, wow, he had a real inspiring ministry? Yeah, it includes that. But there's much more. His example had a measure of authority. But it's not an authority to inspire. It's an authority to be a model. It's one thing to say, hey, watch me do it. Maybe it'll inspire you to do some really cool things. But Jesus is sitting there going, since I'm God, when I do this with this attitude in this way, this is not to serve to just inspire you. It's to provide a template and a model how to live. Can you imagine that? You go, Jesus, what a great model. You really inspired me. And he's going, great. Do you think you have a better template? Well, actually, I do. Jesus, being God, also has another thing. His words have authority. I mean, again, if you've ever been in the military and, you know, your, your commander goes, I want you to do that, so you go, wow, that's a great suggestion. Can I get back to you? Good golly, right? So here's Jesus who has this attitude. He's utterly convinced that he's God. And, you know, he doesn't show off. He doesn't rule us in a bad way. He doesn't condemn us. But he actually thinks that what he says is the final authority. End stop. You can talk about it. You can examine it. But you can't negotiate it. His words are going to last forever. They're going to last longer than your best opinion. The best opinion that the world system, the best opinion that your experience has, the best, whatever best you have, it will fade away. It will be forgotten. But God's words, because they're God's words, they last forever. So Jesus is sitting there going, what I say really matters. That's an important distinction, right? Please, you're going, I don't know. Because if I say yes, that means I have to change precisely. You got it. You got it. This is great. So what are some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples? It's one thing what Jesus did, you know, the example he gave. But what did he actually say to them? Imagine walking with Jesus. And you're watching all this cool stuff, and he's going, hey, you like that one? Yeah, right? See the way I stood up to those Pharisees, and they get all mad? Yeah, they're going to eventually kill me, but I'll win that one too. There's all this sort of stuff. And in the middle of this nice little conversation, you go, I'm with Jesus, he's great, and I'm just a follower. And then he turns to you in the middle of it. In John 20, he goes, "Um, peace be with you. Look, when someone comes up to you and go, hi, how are you doing? Peace be with you. That's a nice way of saying, I want you to sit down and chill, because what I'm going to tell you is going to rattle you. So Jesus goes, peace be with you. As you're just following him, and he says this. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That would stop me in my tracks. I go, wait a second. I'm here to follow you, to enjoy the blessings, and by watching your example and obeying your word, I live a transformed life and I can help other people. Isn't that really great? You know, and I get the blessings to boot and I go to heaven. This is awesome. And you're going, what? The mission that you were put on? The mission that your Father, our Father, sent us on? I'm on that same mission? Wait a second. I didn't sign up for that mission. I I signed up to be part of a church family where I can learn to have a good life, where where I can learn maybe to have impact. But I'm not on a mission. I'm I'm just saved, and I'm part of a family of people who do church stuff. Wait a second. You're saying, I'm on a mission? Yeah. Jesus will look at you and smile with his great, wonderful, exceedingly Jewish smile. And go, yep, as the Father sent me, 
I'm sending you. But I didn't choose to be on a mission. I believe Jesus would look at you and go, you're right. I chose you. You didn't choose me. You go, whoa, wait a second. This is not what I signed up for. I signed up to be saved. I signed up to have a place to put my kids while I worship God. I, you know, all that stuff. I, I, no, I signed up for a place where since I'm inadequate, I can't raise my kids in the way of the Lord, but I can get Sunday school people to do it. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what I signed up for. Now, that's all part of the plan sometimes. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. The mission I'm on, other than atonement and all that, we're on the same mission. What Jesus is saying is, wherever you are, if you've been rescued and saved by the Lord Jesus, you haven't just been saved for heaven. You haven't just been saved for blessings. You've been saved to be part of Jesus' mission. To grow with the same sense of passion, the same sense of zeal. Now listen, I don't want to push anybody. But you go, okay, that's the mission. God wants us to be on this mission. I'm barely surviving. God wants us to have this passion. Are you kidding? I just got over a nervous breakdown. Now you want me passionate? I'll go crazy. What's going on? I want to set you up. I really want to set you up. You go, I can't do this. Or I don't want to do this. Because that really is in the heart of almost every human being. They can agree with the vision. Then go hallelujah to the passion. But the idea of living out fully what that means is like, wait a second, I can't do it. And even if I could, I'd rather not. I'd rather go a little bit halfway. Jesus called his disciples, not only to his mission, but also to his passion. But wait, he said something else. He commanded, not suggested, he commanded he focused, and then he encouraged his disciples. He just didn't give them the mission. He gave them more meat to the mission. You know Matthew 28. Jesus came to them, and he says, I want you to go. Go where? I'm not telling. But wherever you go, you know, pick up the groceries, pick up your kids, you know, pay your bills. Wherever you go, do those things. Do them well. You're representing me. But wherever you go, look for someone that you can connect with. Always just be open to the opportunity of demonstrating the kingdom of God, sharing about Jesus, or being a help to someone. Like, that's the overall mission. In a way, it doesn't really matter where you go. It's just what you do as you're going. Sometimes you can't do anything. You just see a friend doing stupid stuff. You can't do anything, but you see him. All you have to do is just start praying for him right there. With your mouth closed so you don't embarrass anybody. He has, Disciple all nations. Don't just go, but connect with people, bring them into the kingdom, and teach them to do what you do. And actually, there's more to that. The Great Commission is not just to bring people in, to bring them to a saving relationship with Jesus and be part of a church, but real discipleship is teaching people to actually obey Jesus, not just to know how to jump through all the church hoops. Not just to be part of that. Yeah. And I think that's, if I can teach someone to be a good church person, I think that's great. But if I can lead someone to a place where they know how to be led by God, it's a good day at the office. Not only did he just 
say, look, I want you to focus on this. I encourage you. I mean, how he encourages them, he says, look, this is on-the-job training. The Great Commission is on-the-job training. Nobody is prepared for it. The idea, well, I have to study enough and do all this sort of stuff before I can go and look to reach out to people. That's a deception. That's why Jesus said, look, I want you to go. Go with an eye toward helping other people out, demonstrating who I am, right? And don't worry, I'll be with you. He's not just sitting there going, I'll have lollipops in the back seat if you have a bad day. When you have him with you, when Jesus is stapled to you, and you don't know what to do, what to say, or how to think, him being with you is the game changer. You know, I just don't know what to do. That's all right. Wherever you go, he's going to come with you. And when it's game time, you'll know what to do. And even if you make a mistake, he's there. He'll cover the mistakes. I mean, the Great Commission is not this mission that we can just get right perfectly. It's on-the-job training for all of us. <clears throat> but he doesn't just send us out and say, here's the mission, don't worry, I'll be with you. He actually equips us. There's a whole bunch of things that God gives us to equip us. You know, one, is, it's not up here. One is, he gives us scripture. You know, in, in Timothy it says, you know, just read this thing, let God teach it to you, and it'll equip you for every good work. Well, I really don't want to, I really don't want to be really equipped for all the things that I really need to do. Okay, great. Don't learn how to do plumbing and then fix the plumbing in your house. Go ahead. Have a nice day. You'll end up paying a lot of money to someone to do something that you could have done if you had gotten equipped. It's the same thing. Read the Bible. Hang out with the Bible. You can argue with the Bible, but always remember that his words and your opinions, when they conflict, there's only one word that's going to last forever, and it's not yours. Okay? <laughs> Just, just have the argument, have the argument, but just know, I mean, the sooner you go, look, I really believe this, I'd rather not believe your word, but Lord, teach me your ways, I'll hold my opinion lightly. Life goes a lot better when you do that. It says, anyway, he gives us his word, then he gives us leadership. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's an amazing thing. There's more things you can put up. I think we're on 4. Two. Keep on going. You're doing good. All right. Stop. Thank you. He equipped them. He gives leadership. There's an old view of what church should be like. Well, we have the pastor, and the pastor's job is to feed us. And if we keep on coming to church, and the pastor does his job, then every Sunday we'll feel good. We'll experience God, and then we'll come back next Sunday. Now, t- there's a measure of that. But really, you know what the, the function of church is? What leaders are? Our job is to equip people. I mean, it's one thing to be fed. It's another thing to be equipped. Apostles, prophets, pa- pastors, evangelists, teach. All these guys, all these people are here not so that we can create a dependence of you on us. It's like... What are you called to do? What are we called to do? Oh, God, give us wisdom and information and teaching and you know, encouragement and all this stuff to help people figure out why they're here on planet Earth and we can invest them and then the, the church, the house of God, the family can fulfill its mission. 
That's what leadership is for. I mean, I've been in places, well, well, Pastor, I really like this, but I'm just not being fed. What are you doing Monday through Saturday? Do you fast? Do you fast God Monday through Saturday? Have you ever fasted? I mean, just, or not eaten for a while? And then, and my favorite, my, my favorite, favorite food is lasagna. The very first time I fasted, I thought it was going to be real. God called me into a fast. And in three weeks, I go, great. And, and it ends on a men's retreat. Perfect, you know? So I'm going to be coming into the retreat incredibly spiritual. Now, I read about how to fast, but I didn't read about how to break a fast. And so at a men's retreat, we eat good, right? I mean, well, if you have one of those. I'm sure the ladies, yeah, but, you know, men, it's like big leg from a deer, you know? <laughs> Neck of an oxen. <laughs> Anyway, they had lasagna. I done, after three weeks of fasting, I broke the fast by having lasagna. It was a tough night. I mean, third helping, I'm like, this is great. And then I'm going, what is happening? You know, if you don't eat for a while and then you just eat only on one day, eventually, well, you're going to starve to death. Anyway. But another thing that Jesus did, he didn't just give us leaders. If you look to your leaders as, you know, they're going to be your spiritual father and they're going to take care of your every need and that, that you know, of course, Jesus, Jesus is the answer to all, everything, but our leaders are adequate replacements for the real Jesus. You're always going to be disappointed in leaders. Always. But if you see leaders as imperfect people that are used by God and have the authority given by God to equip us to be, to grow into why we're here on planet Earth, then our relationship to God's equipping for us on our mission, our relationship to that changes. There's one last thing that God gives us. Power. Listen, I don't know if you've tried to be a good Christian. You know, if you're successful, if you're successful of trying to be a good Christian in your own in your own effort, I just want to let you know, you're not. You're not successful. You are just a Pharisee. You're sitting there, look, man, I can do it. I can love my neighbor because all my neighbors moved away. See, it's easy, right? (laughs) You know, or, I mean, look, I forgive my enemies, but I just make sure I don't interact with people that they would be mad. I have no enemy. I mean, you could, listen, living the Christian life Living the Christian life, walking out our calling and destiny, walking out our mission, it's not just difficult. It's not just inconvenient. It's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, he he said to his disciples, his disciples, people who said, we want to follow you, we want all the blessings, and we want to make a difference. We want to live out our mission here on life. That's the heart of a disciple. Not someone who just wants to be a good Christian, a heart of a disciple. And Jesus goes, I appreciate your heart, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll actually have the power to do the things that are in your heart. You'll actually have the power to experience the destiny and call and plan that I've put in your heart. That's the main reason 
Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Convict us of sin, to comfort us, to, to equip us, to give us gifts. But fundamentally, it's to give us everything we need. The Holy Spirit is given so that everything we need is available to us so that we can walk out our mission as individuals and as a family. So Jesus calls us to have zeal for his house. Jesus calls us. He calls us. God saying, I want you on this mission. He calls us to invest in the church family in such a way that the church family can accomplish its mandate. To invest in the family so that you as individuals can experience fully why you're here. That's the call. Let's say here's where, this is where you are. You're going, I don't know if I like that. I've had bad experience with churches. Or I'm not even saved yet. I don't know if I can even give my life to Jesus to be consumed with, with God's family. I don't know if I can do that. Or I'm too young. Or I'm too old. I've done there. I got the t-shirt. I just want to have a really good blessed life, retire, and then go to heaven. That's my retirement plan. There's all these sorts of things. Or the fear of, if I go all the way with Jesus, am I going to lose my job? And you know, my finances go down. Maybe. Am I going to get in trouble? Yes. <laughs> Timothy, and Timothy, we're promised anybody who wants to live a godly life will be dinged. They will be persecuted. I mean, you may not be hung upside down on a cross, but I mean, people just make fun of you. <laughs> you're a Christian? Oh, what a crutch. You know, I mean, you're going to get dinged if you actually want to grow in zeal for God's plan and purpose for your life. You will. In high school, you're going to lose some friends, but you might make some friends. So with all the things that are in our heart, we know what God wants us to do. We know how he wants to equip us. How do we go from here to here? Two ways. Simple. Surrender your heart as is. Don't fix it. Don't get rid of stuff. Surrender your heart as is to his mission and to his passion. First John, it says, God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You know when you gave your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, there's no way if you really are getting saved, no way you go, wow, I am now worthy of salvation. I took care of this. Now I'm good enough for you. There's no way. You just took your nasty self, your sin, your past, your brokenness, just all your weird thinking, and you took yourself as is and surrendered yourself as is to Jesus. And then he says, okay, I'll take that. And he starts transforming. The idea we got to get our heart right to commit with God, to God is backwards. We make a choice to commit to God, and then he starts changing our heart. God is bigger than our heart. God is bigger than our past. God is bigger than our hurts. He is bigger than our wounds. He's bigger than our past experience. He's bigger than our best theology. He's bigger than our hearts. He's bigger than our excuses. He's bigger than our fears. 
All those things that we have in our hearts. How can I go forward when my spouse really is not on board? He's bigger than your marriage. I'm telling you, God is bigger than the contents of your heart. He's bigger than all the reasons you might have to say thus far and no further. He's bigger than that. If he can save you, he can grow a zeal for his house. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about all that charismatic stuff. Don't worry about that. In Ephesians 5.18, you know, we are commanded, not just Ephesians people, not just um, um, charismatic people. We're commanded by Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Pray in tongues while you walk down your favorite department store? Or every time worship happens, you go, Oh, did you feel that? <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, it must be God. Shande, yeah. I mean, that might be God. But if you think that is the primary expression of the Holy Spirit, think again. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is just make a decision almost daily. Go, I choose to be continually and increasingly surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Holy, you try to change your heart, good luck with that. But as you surrender your heart daily basis, I have days where it's an hourly basis. It's amazing how he takes the contents of my heart and sort of flushes some things and replaces it with something better. Any person who chooses, my heart's got all these excuses, but I choose to surrender. And any person who goes, I choose to surrender to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a lifestyle. I can guarantee you'll grow in your destiny, you'll grow in your calling, you'll grow in your relationship with Jesus, and your passion, your zeal for the church family will grow. Does that make sense? If you would like to surrender the contents of your heart to the Lord Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're backslidden or really on board, If you got stuff in your heart that you know is keeping you from going forward, Scripture says God's greater than your heart. Surrender the whole thing and see what God does. If if you want to do that, please stand. It's interesting. Game time is always interesting, isn't it? Because those that surrender, God loves to fill. He'll equip you. He'll equip you. He'll give you. It'll be by the Holy Spirit. He'll give you what you need to experience the surrender that you've chosen. I love it when the young people, you guys are awesome. You guys are courageous. You guys are future leaders. Not because you're all that, but you choose to surrender and be equipped. Man, you can change the world just learning those two things. Surrender and be equipped. I want to pray for us as a church. Lord, you said that you have a zeal for your house. You said that. And it consumes you. It's, it's such a passion. And since we're, we love you, we want to love what you love in the way that you love. Where we are is not where we, we know we would need to be. But instead of hiding it or explaining it or justifying it, 
We're dishonest about it. You are greater than our hearts. You are so much greater than our excuses. You are so much greater than all the things that we use to keep us from taking next steps. By faith, we choose to surrender our hearts to you. You get to own our hearts, where our hearts have been, the contents of our hearts now, and what our hearts will look like in the future. Our hearts are now yours. They're not yet where they are going to be, but we surrender because we trust you. Lord, for those of us who just have open hearts, surrendered hearts, in the name of Jesus, I speak a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get to speak in tongues. You get to prophesy and all that. But Lord, I pray a fresh relationship with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That this church will thrive and go forward as a spirit-filled church. Not just on Sunday mornings. But they, they would, wherever they go, they're, Lord, I choose to surrender to you, Holy Spirit. You're with me. Lead me, guide me, strengthen me so I can do whatever it is you want me to do in this circumstance. Lord, I pray there would be a fresh release of the Holy Spirit upon this congregation. Again, that will not just be on Sunday, although that's important, but it'll be on Monday. It'll be on Tuesday. It'll be on holidays. God, that, that this church will grow in its zeal for your house. Amen. Now, while you're standing, I just want to do two things. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm gonna, there's two, two kinds of people that if you go, that's me, I want you to raise your hand, and nobody else is going to look. You guys are British, so you're going to be very nice about it. You know, just, if you, if you know you belong to Jesus, but you know that your heart has been far from God, you know, maybe bitterness, or just maybe, just stuff. If you're, that sense of relationship is far, and you go, man, I just got to get home. I just got to get, I got to sit on the couch in God's house. I just want to come home. If that's you, just raise your hand and put it down. You just want to come home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person who feels like they've been on the outside looking in. Lord, I ask that you give them a revelation that the door to the house is unlocked. They can come home anytime. They can walk in anytime. No questions asked. That this would be a season of restoration, not a season of retribution. So God, I pray for restoration for those who have wandered those who have been wounded. And this would be a time of celebration in the house of God because those who are far are just coming home. Now, if there's anybody here where you really aren't sure if you're a son or daughter of God, you're just not sure, or you are sure, (laughs) but you go, I have my life, I have no idea what it is to belong to Jesus, but my heart says, I need to surrender to the person and work of Jesus. If that's you, you will not be humiliated. Just put up your hand, then I will pray for you. If you go, 
I want, before I have zeal for the house of God, I want to belong to the house of God. I want to be a son. If you, if you want to be a son or a daughter of God, just raise your hand and then put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. When you really surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to you and puts a deposit in you that guarantees what's to come. When you become a son or daughter of God, when you have repented for how you've lived and just surrendered to the personal work of Jesus, Jesus signs your ownership papers and then he never tears them up. Lord, for those who are sitting there going, I want to belong to the family of God. I want to be new. I want to be forgiven. For every person who raised their hand, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and sort of like burn in their hearts to settle the deal, to just sort of put a a stamp on their heart that says, mine, not the world's, mine, not our culture's, mine, not our past. God, I pray that those who say, I want to be saved, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd put the stamp of mine forever in the name of Jesus. This church is going to go places, but you'll get there faster and you'll do more damage when you do it together. Thank you.